0: are listening to Boku No Stop, an anime podcast that can discuss all your problematic faves and leave you going, hot? I'm your host, Sybil Arnett, and with me is... <laughs> Matt. I'm Garrett. And today, we're kicking off a new season with The Woman Called Fujiko Mine, Episodes 1 and 2. This is gonna be a season with a lot of these, but content warnings for today's batch include Drugs, drug sex, sexual assault, cults, murder, suicide, alcoholism, and a whole lot of sex and titty. Yeah, I did not
1: expect it to be this wild, to be honest. And I, I, maybe this was a dead dove situation and I should have seen it coming, but you know,
0: I also agree. It's a situation where it is very (laughs) stylized, but yes, uh, It could definitely be said that a lot of the breasts on display are incredibly gratuitous.
1: Oh, it is 100% gratuitous.
0: (laughs) To be
2: fair, at least it it just starts with it right away. So you know what you're getting in through about, I don't know, like three seconds in. It's in the intro to the show. Like every opening of the episode
1: is just, hey, check out this, uh, this topless woman. And by the way, we're going to also tweak her nipples in one scene just for fun one scene. That's a lot.
0: (laughs) But with that, we should probably kick off with a brief history of Lupin the Third, which this series is a spinoff of. So, for two years from 1967 to 1969, Kazuhiko Kato, aka Monkey Punch, writes a manga called Lupin the Third about the grandson of fictional thief Arsene Lupin. Lupin is a cocky rogue in the vein of his grandfather, a thief who is so good he announces he's coming before any theft just to make it a challenge for himself. He has a loose crew of associates, who include Daisuke Jigen, a sharpshooter always packing his trademark revolver, Goemon Ishikawa, a swordsman with a blade which can cut anything, and the femme fatale Fujiko Mine, an on-again, off-again lover of Lupin's, just as likely to assist in a theft as Steal the goal for herself, Boys Be Damned. The series was written more as a farce than a serious crime drama, although each story does have a sort of how-is-he-going-to-steal-the-abstract-concept-of-love-from-the-Empire-state-building-mystery to it, and Kato was never shy about admitting how much of it was homaged from other works and interviews, he would cite mystery stories including Agatha Christie and Columbo as part of the tone, but also constantly mentioned very classical works being an inspiration. Obviously the Arsene Lupin stories, but the Three Musketeers were mentioned often, and Lupin and Fouché, in his mind, had a D'Artagnan and Milady de Winter romance-slash-tension. Similarly... Uh, He once said that Lupin's Interpol rival, Inspector Zenigata, was the Tom to Lupin's Jerry. So the manga is a hit, but it will really take off in anime form, with the first adaptation arriving in 1971, retroactively dubbed Part 1 by the series numbering scheme. And over time, the next two successive television series will really blow the show up with Part 2 being the first extended-length run at 155 episodes and the best theme song. But between Parts 2 and 3, two theatrical films are released, The Mystery of Mamo, less known in the West until recently, and The Castle of Cagliostro, a.k.a. that thing a lot of people call a Ghibli film, despite Ghibli being founded afterwards. <laughs> It cannot be stated how much love the franchise gets throughout this period. From part two onwards, there is not a year without a film, OVA, or TV series or special running until 2013.
1: That is absolutely wild. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh like I was aware of this series for a good time, but like it felt like it was less in my face than your shonins and whatnot.
2: Yeah, that's fair. I think there was uh was there maybe some sci-fi release of it? I remember it being on some sort of syndication over here at some point for a while.
0: But it was definitely in like the odder time slots. Uh Cartoon Network and Toonami had it briefly, and a non-national station or two would pick up parts two and three. Most of how it came over here was via movies or, uh, in some cases, Laserdisc games, which did not have the name of Lupin on it. Let me see if I can remember what Cagliostro came over as. Oh, that's right. There
2: was an FMV version game of that. This is the first I've heard of it.
0: Yes. Cliffhanger. Two words.
2: Oh, yep, 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 yep.
0: Mm Mm-hmm is a Dragon's Lair-style Laserdisc arcade game from 1983, where all of the video footage is from Castle of Cagliostro.
1: That is super interesting. Oh my god, the
0: art for this. Mm-hmm. Oh, my bad. <laughs> it mixes in some Mystery of Mamo animation, too. Oh, interesting. That's wild. Yeah. But that was probably one of the widest releases this had for ages. I know Cagliostro had a dub, Mm -hmm. which can still be picked up on one of the modern releases. I believe it has both dubs. But the series doesn't take off a bit here until the 2000s. And most of the modern push is because someone at Discotech is devoted to trying to get as much of this in print as possible. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like they put out at least two specials a year. They've been doing all the box sets of the different parts. It's pretty. They're going all in.
2: Mm-hmm. That sounds like discotech dot text. Yeah, the the funniest thing, and
1: really the only Lupin thing that I've quote unquote seen before, is just looking at the covers of the old Laserdisc releases. They're hilarious because they're all like mock-ups of historical events but with Lupin characters so there is one that is straight up like the assassination of John F. Kennedy but shown from the scope of the rifle (laughs) with Lupin as where JFK would be and I think uh, it's probably Fujiko in the other spot where Jackie O was oh my god
0: for what it's worth it should be said that by the start of part two I think it's four episodes in Lupin is trying to steal Nazi gold. So Ah. we go off the rails into this is a serious show. No, it's not. No, it's not a serious show. Pretty quick. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think the time traveler story was in part two as well. Anyhow, fast forward to 2012, where for the first time in about 30 years, a regular Lupin television series is entering production the first since Part 3 ended in 1985. The trailer drops at a 40th anniversary event for the franchise, and it is a prequel to the original 71 anime, which is going to focus on Fujiko Mine. The Woman Called Fujiko Mine was a very distinct new take on the series, with most major development roles being led by women for the first time in the franchise's history. Uh, I can confirm Director is the first time it was a woman, Series director. I don't know about main writer, but I suspect as much. That one's a little harder to get with 70s anime. Mm -hmm. Uh, The series director is Sayo Yamamoto, who series directed Michiko and Hachin, and would go on to be the director of Yuri on Ice, with episode credits on Eureka 7, Samurai Champloo, Space Dandy, and more. The main writer is Mari Okada, writer of O Maidens in Your Savage Season, with series composition credits on the Wixos animes, iron Blooded Orphans, Black Butler, and AKB0048, among others. Mario Okada being the main writer for this show explains a lot, because having started reading O Maidens in Your Savage Season on Matt's recommendation, they are definitely works that are taking different looks at sex and femininity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's that one. It's that Mario Kata. The character designer and animation director is Takeshi Koike, a.k.a. The Red Line Guy. Mm -hmm. Uh, Also credits on Afro Samurai, the world record short in the Animatrix, other things. The series designs will be pulled more from the style of the original 60s manga than most of the animated adaptations, giving the series a very throwback look, but the style of this series is very psychedelic and fluid, and each chapter is put into its own style as a result. Also very much in line with the original manga, the characters are charming rogues, but they will get very dirty for their goals, and the series goes with a lot harder pulp and exploitation vibes, up to and including Fujiko leaning in on her sexuality as a tool of the trade, drugs and alcohol being all throughout the series, and more to come. As I said, content warnings will be on, uh, I believe, every episode this season. (laughs)
1: Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Did we... I I guess we should have probably put a content warning for beheading up front, too. (laughs) Uh,
0: I can slice that... I Ah! I can splice that in! <laughs> <laughs> Whoops! The score is composed by Naruyoshi Kikuchi of the band Date Course Pentagon Royal Garden, with the opening being a remix of one of their tracks, and the music producer is some guy named Shinichiro Watanabe, you know, the director of Cowboy Bebop and Samurai Chamblee.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, just those small shows. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, kids on the slow, but yeah, you know. Just This music guy. The series is announced as 13 episodes, and it is the first Lupin anime series to go in a more serialized direction, with each episode seeming to be standalone until the arc ties together in the back quarter. Anyone have anything else about production?
1: This is my first real Lupin show, so, I mean... It's going to be very interesting if I go to anything else from this, it seems like. Because my understanding is that it is very singular within yes. the series.
0: Um, uh, I didn't go into it because of the fact that I did want to keep the overview brief. But yeah, this show aired at a one thirty am time slot, which meant it got to go way harder than a mm-hmm. lot of things. Whereas... A lot of the things that were on TV between part three and this were an annual TV special, which was broadcast in primetime and aimed a little more at families. Oh, they could still be, you know, gun violence and other things. But yeah, it turns out Fujiko is going to be a femme fatale who is not on screen fucking in a lot of other Lupin series.
1: Yeah, (laughs) or at least it's way more implied. Yeah. Yeah. They, they make it extremely literal here.
3: Mm-hmm. Seize what you are doing and gaze at me. Stop everything save for the thrumming of your heart. It is an especially sweet vice, more elegant than vandalism and more complex than simple robbery. A beautiful blend of secrets and crime and mischief and fear. Like dear Heathcliff, I am defined by my all-consuming passion. Stealing is my greatest carnal pleasure, a pleasure for which I will risk my life, a sexy prison from which there is no escape. Why am I this way? Who can know? Who is the slave and who is the master? Do divine eyes fall upon me any longer, or have they given up? The rush of a the theft allows me to forget all, and yet to distantly remember all as well. Run and speak not. Hide and run not. When you found me, punish me. When you've punished me, kill me. Save me, little boy. There is nothing left to steal from you. You have long been an empty shell, just as I have. And so, if you would gaze at me, cease what you are doing, stop everything, save for the thrilling of your heart.
1: So, that takes us into the first episode Master Thief versus Lady Looter. And, uh, It there is an opening monologue that goes with the intro here. Uh, It's it goes uh,
0: cease what you're doing. Just discuss what parts you want, because I am straight up going to cut in that opening. Oh, okay. I I just had a couple of lines here.
1: Yeah, like it's very the lines are very evocative, like right away. And uh, it just really has that like. Like artsy '70s vibe to it that I thought was like, you know, really pulls you in. And then this is happening over the most like we're <laughs> turning James Bond intros up to eleven <laughs> that I I have ever seen anyway. Uh, so like, just to give you an idea, yeah, it is a black and white pencil sketch styling of one to two nude Fujikos sometimes in a crowd, sometimes alone, sometimes being tied up in like a kind of a bondage situation, sometimes making out with herself, uh, sitting on a throne. And it's just really, a really intense, like, guess what this is about? This is about a woman who is super hot and knows she's super hot and is going to use that to her advantage. And like, It's definitely elevated past like, oh, this is fan service, despite the fact that she is very clearly well endowed and full view of the camera a lot. Like they don't spare a lot of detail here. And there are full body shots in here. There's a lot.
0: (laughs) My favorite part of this is the fact that it seems like, ah yes, this is the first episode placeholder will put the credits over, which is why there's a full speech. Uh-huh. And then every episode opens with this scene and monologue as you realize, oh
3: this is her the intro
0: is the intro lyrics. Uh-huh. It's so good. It's just yeah, this is just
2: the opening. We're here now.
1: Yeah, I was also expecting this not to be the same for episode two, and as soon as I did, I went like wow, they were just fucking went for it. Mm-hmm. Like
0: Damn. (laughs) Uh, The opening track is named New Wuthering Heights. It is a remix of the It is a remix of the Date Course Pentagon Royal Gardens Wuthering Heights, which basically takes the intro to that song and makes it the intro of the show, because right after the bit where the band starts up at the end of this, it goes into a Latin jazz number for four minutes which does not Mm -hmm. happen in the show (laughs) i kind of want that to happen in the show though that would have been sick there are definitely a few tracks which are reminiscent i will say it is definitely worth picking up that album which is called new york hell sonic ballet if you want to hear the full one that is a name title yeah, I, I dug into their music while I was doing the research for this because I was like, this, why, why is this called what New Wuthering Heights? Oh, it's based on the track Wuthering Heights, which is, whoa, this went places.
1: That is not the album cover I thought it would be with
0: that kind no. of name.
1: <laughs> way more impressionistic, like, way more realistic, but also interesting. Interesting. I can import the CD for $32? Ooh. Hmm.
2: About
1: it. I'll have to listen to it first, but if I like I, it, I I
0: would definitely around. do that. All of the tracks are available on YouTube for Westerners to try from the official channel. Yeah.
2: Also, I know it's meant to be serious, but I can't not think of the Garfield knockoff when Heathcliff comes up.
0: <laughs> of course. I can understand that. Uh, I didn't go into it much in the notes, but yes, there is a very self-destructive Heathcliff-like streak to Fujiko in this series. If you are unaware, in Wuthering Heights, Heathcliff is a guy who the main female interest loves, but he mishears her speaking to someone else once, vows that he is going to not be anyone's fool Disappears for three years and then comes back rich and devoted to destroying everyone who he feels has wronged him. I know him as an orange
1: cat. (laughs) Uh, The the only other thing I know um, Heathcliff from besides being an orange cat is that um, uh, Wuthering Heights was in uh, Sweet Blue Flowers as like a seed where like... The kind of roguish, you know, boyish girl who's kind of a player ends up playing Heathcliff. That's a thing that happens.
0: That tracks.
2: (laughs) So when the opening ends, a very gothic organ solo plays beyond the title cards in possibly blood. It's some sort of of red ink. And it goes, uh, Fujiko Mine, stripped of all her love your sweet scent shall draw three robes to you and so this tale of hijink shall un- unfold however you must never forget the overcast skies you are you see are painted from my palette signed uh l y a is that is that a reference to something i feel like i should know who that is
0: you from- will not until we get towards the end of the series
2: but that okay. will be explained That seemed like a very, like, Lupin callback that I maybe should have known. Nope. And also, this seems to set up the first couple of episodes where we're meeting said three rogues.
0: Yes. It's it's not very apparent, but yes, this is supposed to be a prequel to the original Lupin run. So this is Fujiko first meeting each of them. This is Lupin not yet having his tertiary crew... They're just all wanted scumbags on the international stage.
2: Yep. Uh, So then, after that, we come on to the scene of a cult leader going off in front of his people where a certain rogue, Lupin, is spying from the proceedings from a uh, chandelier with binoculars. Um, Lupin ogles the obvious uh, Fujiko in a mask, who is up on stage seated in a throne near the man. Um, As this cultist gives his speech, he draws a hand over his body and starts flinging narcotic petals into the crowd, and and they're just eating it all up. Um, Behind him, uh, Fuchiko slides a tablet into her mouth from an ornate um, poisoner's ring, which she slips into the man's mouth in their uh, marriage kiss. Marital, thank you. Words are hard.
1: Like... That is underselling that moment (laughs) because it's okay. So it's like they do the kiss, but then she just goes, fuck that. I'm going to go all in and goes tongue first and like grabs him. And he's like trying to get away from this. Like, it seems like this is way more than he signed up for in that moment in front of everyone. And then she even like grabs his ass to like kind of hold him in place
0: and then ends up. Gotta make sure
2: you deliver the poison. I, and that he swallows it, yes.
0: <laughs> well, part of it is that Fujiko, Lupin, most Monkey Punch characters are drawn in a very waifish, leggy style, sort of uh-huh. like a Seinen Naoko Takeuchi drawing. But yep. <laughs> the cult leader is this weird squat little imp who is sort of like a more realistically proportioned Haposai type from Ranma. shrunken little head tiny body so she is lifting him up by his ass against her hand on his robes holding them draping in midair with this kiss
1: yeah she's going all in on this
0: if i didn't have a different frame uh in mind and if this weren't pretty much not safe for work due to her outfit i might use this as the episode art just to show what you're getting into five seconds in. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Other than the finding, opening, this is a good tale tell of what this show is going to be. Turns out, finding screenshots for the episode art on this real hard.
1: Huh. <laughs> yeah, this is probably be easier that. to take it take it off of the disc itself.
0: Oh yeah, I I yeah. used uh, one of my episodes bits, but there's <laughs> there's very few times where. A character who you will have heard of is on screen, and Uh fully clothed, and Uh not involved in massive acts of violence or sexuality. Yeah, especially
1: this episode, I think in particular, is worse for it.
0: Yes, Fujiko is uh, very constantly in a split two-piece and a veil in this episode. And
1: not even in the full two-piece, for a lot of it. (laughs)
0: Oh, no, I mean, there's literally two pieces, the one that is holding her breasts in and the one that is basically a belt. Well, oh, most of I the know. time, that first one doesn't exist.
1: That's what I mean, is that she, she's topless a lot in this episode.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So Lupin explains his plan to nobody. When the bride and groom head upstairs, the leader's pendant is the key to whatever he's here to steal so he just needs a distraction to let him get past the guards to the penthouse. Therefore, he blows up all of the chandeliers over this crowd, and rides a cable connected to a collapsing weight as a path to the elevator, where he finds the cult leader KO'd on the ground, and Fujiko pointing a gun at him shortly thereafter. Before either can get the upper hand, though, the old man rises off the floor, hits a hidden switch to cage the pair, and drugs them both into unconsciousness with the dust on his body. In his harem chamber, we watch the cult leader get handsy with his other narcotic-ed-up wives, as he declares that Fujiko's betrayal shall be met with death at dawn.
1: Like, this is extremely, like, oh god, what's that? It's not Emperor Nero. Who's the one that's- oh, Caligula. Duh. Uh, like, extreme Caligula vibes (laughs) with this guy.
0: I feel like this is where I'm supposed to do the fate thing where Caligula was actually a guy who was really fairly maligned in the Roman Senate and made a lot of progress anyway. Yeah, I was going to do I, the I, fate
2: I, thing where it was going to just be Nero, but the fate Nero.
1: <laughs> I, I mean, I was just going to do that. Oh yeah, it's that 70s film that's mostly porn. <laughs> Hell yes.
0: Uh, definitely I mean, that's pretty watching. close to the show here.
1: Well that's what I mean. No, that's exactly no, the thing.
0: <laughs> that one is way more over the top given that it is by uh Larry Flint of Hustler. So I
1: mean, it turns into porn for like twenty minutes, like literal like, oh no, did you she's just going ham on that hog.
0: Look, we don't see Fujiko go down on a man, nor does she insert anything on camera. On camera? <laughs>
1: Is the keywords there. <laughs> I know I'm.
0: I know I'm splitting hairs here, but I do have to say this show is not pornography.
2: Boy, but is it close! It's definitely edging to the line or on the line. Oh, you could definitely edge to the series for sure. I mean, you could just edge from the
1: intro. <laughs> uh, anyway, our two thieves. Uh, they wake up, they swap notes in the in their cell. Both of them know each other by reputation, although Fujiko is a little hurt by this. She clearly wanted to gloat a little about her knowledge. It turns out, nope, nope, this this guy also knows his shit too. Uh, the cult is called Fraulein Yule, which stands for Miss Owl, with, wor- with worshipers coming for the high of the cult leader's body dust. So they're literally like, huffing his body glitter uh but they have <laughs> a secret treasure which is the drug um only unveiled on special occasion thus Fujiko ingratiated herself as a bride to force such an event so she could then steal the drugs Lupin is totally down for all this because he says a uh, thieving is more fun as a competitive sport because he just he has a love for the game baby uh he then makes a crack about how it's not going to be much of a rivalry if all she has is seduction as her one tool for theft. And in response, she drops her top, comes onto him, and then hucks an ornate earring, at an alarm to some of the guards, and plays it off as if Lupin was trying to force himself on her, uh, and like she's been trying to get away from him. And he's just like, what are you talking about? I'm not doing anything. Uh, so they end up dragging him away anyway, and uh, the remaining guard is extremely easily seduced under the guise of, if I'm dying tomorrow,
2: what's, uh, one more for the road? And then we immediately snatch cut to tomorrow morning. After some, actually, no, there is the part where, like, she kind of embraces him in a hug and then, like, does, like, a twirl and, like, falls down on the bed. Mm-hmm. But before we can get to anything worse than that, it's Smash Cuts to the Morning, where both the male vermin and the female vermin are led black-bagged
0: to the guillotine,
2: and the blades are dropped ASAP. Uh,
0: I have to say, the dub and sub on this do two very distinct takes on this character, the cult leader. Uh. I... I think the dub plays it in a more natural way to be spoken aloud, but the subtitles are doing a very—he's constantly remarking on—dizzy and the spinning and motion of bodies, whereas the dub has him playing it as just kind of a tick where dizzy and tizzy is a bit of a formality of the cult, but when he's actually in the mood, he's not— when he's not performing, he's not leaning into this as much where he is always on in the subtitles. It's a very different read. Oh, interesting. I assumed like yeah. the dizzy
2: and tizzy ticks were just in to
0: work with the with the drug that's going on. Yeah, they're in both, it's just that the there's a rhyming dialogue, there's a repetition that the actual japanese read has more of and i think it's probably huh. because it plays off as some wordplay there that just didn't translate
3: mm-hmm.
1: yeah That's that fair. probably makes sense
2: um so after um our protagonists are beheaded the cult leader decides to bestow his failed bride with one last kiss having her head brought to him literally on a platter at which um, they realize that the head is actually a guard in a wig, ball gag in his mouth to keep the secrets. Um, on the top of like the castle towers, I can't say that word, so I'm not going to try. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fujiko is wandering around in the clothes she stole from said guard with his machine gun, hoping Lupin didn't go to the grave with hard feelings. This is this
1: is especially funny, considering that, okay, you see the beheading, you see a little splash of blood on one of them, and you see both heads roll around from a distance, but it should have been extremely obvious that the other one wasn't bleeding a whole lot.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's very good, and I like that that hint is there, which you can catch on a second viewing, but yeah, the first one splashes blood, the second one just drops and rolls. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So as she descends the stairs, Lupin's headless suit and body are walking up them, cursing the vile woman who led him to his death. <laughs> she That's tries so shooting funny. it, and he flings a lighter into her assault rifle and flips it around, t- disarming her. So, surprise! Lupin is alive. Down at the courtyard, they are discovering that his body was a papier-mâché dummy at this point. That's very impressive, to create a dummy like that. Uh Uh-huh. He tut-tuts her because he's like, oh, you've got a body count on this job now. You're a killer, huh? Only when necessary, she says. At which point he pulls the gun on her and goes, uh, so it's now necessary? Mm -hmm. But instead he decides this is more fun if now they are racing for the treasure. So he draws the attention of the crew, starts running along the castle walls with the gun, and both of them are off in their own warped ways. Uh, She's flinging flash grenades at the guards while he's running around with a machine gun. Mm -hmm. And the eye catches on this show are different for every episode. So on this episode, we have Fujiko's wrists holding her pistol and Lupin's with his own on return. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, Uh, the move where he throws the lighter into the, like... I forget the name of the like just that that bit Rifle. where the well I mean like the the actual name of the chamber where the where the the casing comes out Oh of, the slide the I, s- slide, the s- slide yeah. yeah but like the fact that she he jams the slide like without really being able to see and then disarms it and then like like sort of racks the gun and like grabs the lighter as it flies out that was sick as fuck
0: The animation like even though it's a throwback style and design is very fluid. I don't think this would have gotten as much love if this were a 26-episode season, but yeah. they put their budget and their work to the limits. It's great. Uh, uh, it looks incredible. Yeah, uh. this show looks amazing. I love,
2: they, like, they take, like, I think just, like, a lot of, like, a manga, like, kind of styling with it. Like, they do, like, the shading with, like, just, like, the thick pencil strokes, and it just looks so cool.
1: It it does look like a 70s comics reference in some ways, or like 70s, like if you think, you know, the aesthetics of like movie posters back then, mm-hmm. like so it definitely is referencing that a lot.
0: Most of the animated Lupin to this point has been based off of very simplified, stylized 70s designs. And this one leans in on the hatching and pencil shading of the original manga work as its guidelines, which also means that they sometimes break from the sort of canon look that's been running through this franchise for 40 years on and off. Mm -hmm. It's very smooth, very cartoonish, and this has some cartoon elements. Lupin, for instance, will always have a very Tom and Jerry kind of vibe to his motions, but everyone else is drawn limbs akimbo flailing different faces contorting in a way that you would usually see as a panel without ever seeming like we just stuck a panel on screen and did a motion comic it flows it's fluid
1: and the thing too is that there is cg in here and there's a scene coming up where that's like really obvious but the way that it is colored and uh, like how the line work works, it works very well. Like the two tend to blend way better than you often see when CG is brought into an anime. So, I mean, I guess it kind of reminds of how you see it in JoJo's to some degree where there's like there's some 3D work, but the way that it's like colored, it kind of it's stylized better. in a way that
0: fits. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's less jarring than sometimes you, you just see a, wow, someone put a computer
0: <laughs> image here and rotated it a bit. I see so many CGI horses. Wow, that's a lot of CGI horses. Oh my god, I there are
1: web comics that have CGI horses in it.
0: <laughs> oh no, I'm I'm making a joke about a JoJo meme. It's, it's probably we're going to find out about that within the next few years.
1: Oh, I I stopped watching in part four and haven't gone back.
0: <laughs> um, Someday I'll do that. Part seven. Part seven is guaranteed to be a lot of CGI horses. Okay.
1: I'll keep an eye out for that.
0: Uh, it's, so, it's the curse we've all
3: been
1: waiting for. <laughs> I guess so. So Fujiko sneaks back into the leader's harem room and... She's in a new disguise, which, I mean, how good of a disguise is this really? should have been really suspicious. It's real silly. Uh, but then she spreads some sleeping powder around the room as she's dancing, and her suspicion is confirmed. The leader is immune to drugs, which is how he shrugged off her sedative earlier. Just it didn't affect him at all or it barely affected him, and the sleeping powder also didn't affect him. As well as the drug he's been kind of throwing around this whole time. But uh, she lays out how she figured out his trick. Uh, He takes the drug, makes it into a compound, he spreads over his body, and it sort of crystallizes, and rubbing or striking it uh, like a match causes the flare off of him as a dust, and then everyone inhales his body dust. Gun in hand, she has him lead her to the secret room behind his pendant's lock.
2: Meanwhile, Lupin is sneaking in through the submarine under the base, hiding within a crate. Um, He monologues to himself that Fujiko is one unbalanced woman, mean enough to kill, crazy enough to sneak into a place like this for some drugs, and masochistic enough that she doesn't care how far she falls. And he's into it. (laughs) Um... As uh, Fujiko makes it into the lab where the drug is made, the leader springs the guards on her, where Lupin is just kind of riding an elevator. And when he's given his monologue, it kind of shows like his initial infiltration into the base
0: and kind of sneaking around. He's doing a cartoon sequence because she's leading the cult leader around at gunpoint, and he's just straight up popping his head out of a crate on a conveyor belt, riding this thing up the outside of the building. Well, look, she's playing a shooter. He's playing a sneaky game. Yeah.
2: So Fujiko shoots her way through the guards um, using the tried and true shoot the control panel and it explodes. And then she is pinned against the wall just in time for Lupin to flip it around and rescue her. And this wall is exceedingly weird. It's got like a bunch of cutouts for shapes kind of like one of those like kid pegboards where you put
0: the square thing in the square hole <laughs> this wall is incredibly extra for no reason because the part that flips around is in the shape of a giant cross of course but before it flips around as garrett said all of these shapes and they're not just a simple circle square whatever they're like an eight-pointed star and a diamond it all pop out The wall turns, and then they all slide back in, and there is no explanation given of why this would be here or why it is so ornate, but it has stopped responding to the guard's keys. (laughs) So Fujiko and Lupin are now inside the deepest temple, and inside of it is a reclining statue of a woman made of crystallized Fraulein Yule. She decides to draw a pistol and blow Lupin a kiss by firing her lipstick at his cheek, but then shoots out the lights with her other chamber of the gun. Said lipstick was a glow-in-the-dark marker, so she can just fire on him without giving him anywhere to hide in the darkness? And -hmm. this scene is gorgeous. Her movements are just being highlighted by the muzzle flashes of the pistol, his by the trailing glow he's leaving behind, and instead of the room just being blackness, it is a series of dark ink washes and pencil strokes made to look like darkness of a panel on a page. It's, it's wild. Well, the
1: thing that's even more sick about it is that the the way that the glow smears and such as he is moving, it really looks like you're in the dark with someone with a glow stick where it just kind of there's a trail to it in a way that it sort of it's just not a clean line.
0: Yeah, the animators are showing off. It's like the lights on Tetsuo's bike in Akira when he does the turn. It's smearing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's the same motion. But Lupin finally gets the jump on her by wiping the stain on his jacket and hurling it in another direction. And before we can make anything of the very compromising position he lands on her in, uh, head yeah. between her legs, sirens sound because the police are raiding the island. So
1: we beat Inspector Zenigata and his assistant, uh, Lieutenant Simp, I mean, Lieutenant Oscar. Oscar says, Inspector, is Lupin really on that island? He- Yep, Zenigata says as he holds up a note, which uh, was sent to their team that says, "Fraulein Eul, the drug secretly being made on the cult island will be mine." As in saying, "Please come over here. I'm over here." Oscar asks why they never raided the place sooner if they knew it was connected to the narcotics. But Zenigata simply states that it was a much more appealing trap with bait like the drug because now they could also take the thief. He wasn't aware of, of Fujiko, right? Like, that's just
0: coincidence. He was not aware of Fujiko, but he, they knew the cult was dealing. And so by leaving that as bait, they can just get the thief. They can get the trap itself, the cult, and anyone else who happens to be here in one go.
1: So, yeah, he he's going to, you know, take the whole operation down and get a nice uh, thief in return as like an extra bonus. Uh, This actually gets a very flustered, blushing reaction out of Oscar, who is like the Waifish of Waifs, like the most, like, thin, like the characters in these episodes look.
0: Uh, If you wanted to be slightly crude, you might call Oscar a femboy.
1: Yeah, I would not have gone that far. I've only seen this character in one scene, but yeah. I'm bringing it
0: up because this is going to come into play later. Oh, okay. I, I feel we oh. do need to talk about it.
1: Oh, yeah, I I see the rest of this line you wrote. Yeah, yeah, is a mm-hmm. it is a very feminine lad in figure and appearance is what Sybil wrote here.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, Oscar appears to just be another classical literature reference because you know. The sort of orphan-thief style, but on the side of good. A little bit Les Mis, French stories of crime and punishment.
2: Of course. I mean, I mean, it is popular over there. They made that fighting game and everything.
0: And Arsene Lupin was a French story. Mm-hmm. Um, we cut back to uh, Lupin and uh, Fujiko,
2: where he explains the cult island is actually built on top of what's probably an oil platform with underwater entrances as a good way to smuggle things unseen in and out. This also means that the cult leader can collapse the place at a flip of the switch and hide all the evidence of his crimes, which he does. Yeah, fortunately for Lupin, that doesn't fall... He doesn't care about that. He accounted for this. So he just attaches some giant rockets to this drug statue and rides it out (laughs) like a surfboard.
1: And, like, this thing, I mean... Is it explicitly like a, a Buddha in rep- repose? Because it looks kind of like that. <laughs> it is uh, very
0: much in that design. It's a religious statue. Yeah. It's not full on Buddha. Yeah. It's it's drawn a little differently for you know the cult stylings, but
1: yeah. But the funny thing is, just it's you know it's a statue of a person who's lying on their side like with you know propping themselves up on their elbow and like you know has one leg over the other it's like a very particular pose of the fact that this is not just a person standing where they (laughs) they strapped a rocket to
2: right yeah it's like it's like they're kind of laying so it's like this long giant stage it's more long than tall yeah Mm -hmm. and uh fuchiko follows in hot pursuit whipping off her bra to use as a zip line. And taking a sniper rifle from one of the cop's boats, um, she got onto the shoot down his statue. Or rather, she shoots one of the rockets. The rockets blow up. And then Lupin's like, no, no. And then (laughs) a raft peers under the rockets, which Fujiko then also shoots. Uh And then um, the statue falls into the water. And then it is found out that... Um, the score, the statue, um, hits the water and begins melting, turning the sea into a psychedelic swamp. Um, the cultin, the cultists from uh, Lupin's innovation, all jump in to get their hit, and the mass of people um, block the cops from plowing through after Lupin. But they do catch um, the cult leader, who appears from a manhole,
0: pretty much right in front of them. Because, you know, Tom and Jerry energy. Mm-hmm. ha I've gotten away! You are surrounded by 50 cops with guns. <laughs> in the final scene, Fujiko is riding away on her motorcycle, fuming over Lupin's arrival, ruining her scheme. But as she's muttering to herself, she looks down and sees that, on her thigh, in her own lipstick, the words, FUJIKO MINE WILL BE MINE, SIGNED LUPIN THE THIRD have been written. We discover she's like, the only time this could have happened is when he had me after jumping down on my body. So, damn that Lupin.
1: Like, this is the most I would say this is the most doesn't make sense in the moment besides the whole how did he get that raft underneath that statue kind of thing. Like you, you connect the two scenes and like, oh, so that's what was going on in that darkness and that uh, awkward uh, uncomfortable moment there. But it's like you would have you would have probably noticed that before. (laughs) Like it seems weird to reveal it like after all of that be like, oh, oh, so that's what it was. It just feels weird.
0: So here's the thing. Every Lupin character has their own weird superpower. Mm -hmm. Jigen is a master sharpshooter with a revolver. Goemon has a sword that can slice through anything. These are not exaggerations. This is actual plot things that they can do. Fujiko is a seductress to an amazing degree. Lupin is a cartoon.
2: So So this is super power.
0: Yeah. If you can think of some way that he could have a weird gadget or something concealed on his body that would be outlandish even for James Bond, no, he got one of those in his pocket.
1: He has several, I, I bet. He has yeah.
0: the rubber masks from Mission Impossible that disguise your face and voice perfectly. Just all around. If you ever see someone acting weird in a Lupin series, it's probably Lupin in disguise if you haven't seen him yet. Mm-mm. So at this point, the end credits kick off and Duty Friend by, I have no idea how to pronounce this, Nikkei Plays? It's another jazzy tune. The rotation of images behind this is soft art of a younger Fujiko in a variety of locales and appearances. Because it is the series, she is various degrees of dressed or undressed throughout.
1: Yeah, this is probably the most yikes thing, at least in this episode, because it's like, all right, she likes to sleep with people to get her stuff. But OK, she's an adult. She can do that, I guess, if that's her thing. But then there's like like you you wonder how she got to that point. And then you're like, wow, that's a very young girl with like in, in a seductive pose with like her like want to strap off her shoulder. And, it, and it's like, oh, it makes me think too much of like, oh, what got her to that place in a way that's real gross.
0: Yeah, agreed. I'm going to say you will get more context for this ending as we go through the series. Thanks. But also, I don't know if we have a firm age on what she is at this point in time. I believe it is all legally allowed. Let's put it that way. Yeah, she reads as... She's also case. solo in this. Th- this is not her with other people. Also it is no, true. Yeah, also her true. around a house in a field, laying in bed, sitting in a chair. Yeah.
1: But she's usually looking at the camera as if someone was standing there.
0: I would say the tone of these shots is a still life looking at the painter. Yeah, it's
1: mm-hmm. it's very pinup in
2: certain
0: ways. Yeah, I I agree though that's the most uncomfortable to watch part. I will not deny that. Of everything in these two episodes, I could definitely see how this would be the first mash-the-button-to-skip-ahead moment. (laughs) And the ending wraps up with the stamp of an owl.
1: to episode two, 357 Magnum. Uh, we resume in a massive, lavish casino. In the security office, a woman is watching from behind crimson shades on some monitors, where on the floor, Fujiko is on a hot streak, seated behind stacks upon stacks of chips at the, um, she's playing, uh, cra- not crap. She's playing, oh God, what's the name of this game? Roulette. Roulette. Yeah. And if you've played roulette, yeah, uh, you have to be on quite a hot streak to make that much money and not like lose it all back. So the woman walks up from the crowd saying that she recognizes someone favored by fortune. The two banter, and the mystery woman decides to stop boring Fujiko with low stakes bets. And she decides to put up the entire casino on their wager. And now the one small thing to note is that when they have been playing the game, you could see that one of Fujiko's earrings is like moving in a suspicious way, and so she's rigging the game
0: essentially. There's there's a little beeping sound whenever we zoom in on it.
1: Yeah, and it like it moves as if it were like being attracted by a magnet.
0: It's...
2: Yeah, that's what I thought too. There's like some magnet thing, which I think mm-hmm. could explain what happens shortly late shortly after here. Yeah. But
1: Fujiko is interested, but she says that she doesn't really have a casino in her pocket to match, you know, the auntie with. And the woman says that, Oh, I believe you do. Uh, you should bet your lovely self at exchange. And Fujiko is immediately into this, uh, especially because she thinks she's going to (laughs) win. So Sybil, I mean, just makes me just think back to birdie wig. Um, but throughout this scene, her earrings have been like I mentioned, Yeah, as I mentioned before, like her earrings have been somehow part of this scheme And uh, so yeah, she's feeling very comfortable in this bet But it turns out that the ball stops on the casino owner's number instead And we get the title card
2: Yeah, because uh, I, I think it's uh, neat how like uh, The opposing bets are right next to each other on the Roulette wheel Oh, they're placed so on it, opposite sides. They're placed on opposite sides, but on the roulette wheel, the numbers are right next to each other. So if if she was rigging the game, you could see kind of the plausibility of how it could mess up by, like, one on either side. That's how I took it, at least. Fair. Um, When we resume after the title card, we're in a penthouse suite. Uh, Fujiko is nude and cuffed to a reverse chair. Um, Also to note that... This seems to be, like, very similar to a scene in the end credits we were just talking yeah. about, too. There's a similar yeah. pose and situation there. Yep. Um, the casino owner, of course, knew who she was de- uh, dealing with and comments that she really does have a wonderful body. It's no surprise men and some women are so easily wrapped around her, her finger. Um, the owner begins tracing her fingers over Fuchiko's body as she explains that she could do a lot of things with a woman like Fujiko in her possession. But she's not looking to be cruel. Um, she says, grant me two wishes, and I'll set you free. The first is to steal a gun from a certain man,
0: and the second is to see this through to the end. So, the owner's assistant is told to drive Fujiko to the correct site, and on the way, he explains that there is a silent mob war in play in this town. We don't ever find out where this is. It's a very Vegas-like locale with, you know, underworld casinos and mobs playing for turf and somewhat questionable brothels. But it turns out the certain man is Daisuke Jigen, and he's been involved in some of the gang wars going on, acting as a bodyguard to different parties. According to the casino owner, who we now learn is named Chicholina, Jigen has one weakness which makes Fujiko the perfect person for this job. Women frighten him. Chicholina would like Fujiko to retrieve Jigen's magnum, bring it back to her casino and turf, and lure the man back in pursuit because Jigen was her husband's bodyguard up until he turned traitor, killed the man, and defected to a rival family. He is now working for the Chinese triads. She would like to murder Daisuke Jigen with her own two hands as a result of this.
1: So how do you think that Fujiko makes her way into this other mob family? Well, it just turns out that Lin Chin Chin, the head of that organization, is looking for another mistress. Shocking. So this is the first time uh, she's in an alternate costume going blonde for this mission. Uh, She gets the job and Jigen doesn't take kindly to being told that part of his mission as a bodyguard would be to also keep an eye on, uh, you know, his boss's main squeeze. Uh, He says, uh, you're guarding my property and my women belong to me. Yikes. But still, peeved or not, he's good at the job, not even hesitating to blow away two men who were hiding in the bushes behind his boss, uh, just waiting for their moment to jump out and kill him.
2: Yeah, I believe this is also at the point, or one of the points where they bring up like his unreal draw speed with his gun to be able to do that. They say something like, what, 0.03 seconds? Yeah, that is his more. canonical move. Yeah, yeah. So we get a good first uh, establishment of that. Um, before we cut to um, Fujiko making a vain attempt to uh, come on to him when she calls him in to the boss's room when he's away and he outright just goes sorry no i i hate women um but that is not, the line not, in every not...
0: version it's not a translation thing i hate women sorry yeah <laughs> yeah i didn't i didn't like
2: saying that <laughs> no worries i can yeah. say that <laughs>
1: that that's true <laughs> so do do you do y'all think that that is his like he's Actually, a misogynist, or is he just playing that front so that women would leave him alone because that's a vulnerability of his?
2: It I is want to think it's the second. Yeah, he
0: he just doesn't like jobs where women are involved because he's a gentleman underneath everything.
1: Oh, so he's like Martin from Monster.
0: Yeah, he's very <laughs> much a I would I would like to just deal with dudes. Dudes are not complicated. I don't feel bad about shooting a dude type. Mm. So uh, it turns out Jigen doesn't like dealing with Fujiko.
2: Yeah. Oh, what what a shock. Uh Um,
1: (laughs) Especially when Fujiko is very interested in not leaving him alone. Mm
2: -hmm. That's true. I mean, she doesn't make a good first impression when, you know, he pulls the knife that she has in Mm -hmm. from between her legs, holding it to her throat. And he, you know, goes on the bodyguard thing where, like, the boss has a lot of enemies. You know, someone who would gladly dress up as a mistress to try to get to him. I always have to be vigilant. Um, And then we get uh, the eye catch uh, for this week. It's Fuchiko's hand dropping the ball on the roulette table. And then Jigen's hand holding his revolver and fanning it in a
0: cloud of smoke. They're really artistic shots. I wish I could use all of them as the art, but there's really no way to balance that out in a way that shows it off. Mm -hmm. So, she is trying again. This time she's changed into a black wig and kimono going, oh, Japanese name. Maybe you're into the Asian ladies. (laughs) She offers him tea and he puts his cigarette out in it. (laughs) (laughs) She gets much more blunt. Stands up, drops the robe entirely to prove she's unarmed this time, and then goes, the boss did say protecting me was part of your job, you know. So, she starts taking a bath, forcibly making sure that she is naked to disarm him. And he's just kind of sitting on the other side of the doorway, looking away, but the doorway does not have a door to close, so he has her in, hind- in the periphery of his eye at all times. There is a wild shot of her in the bath where she has titties out and ass on screen the the anatomy on it is very oh my god your spine
1: (laughs) (laughs) everyone's like lower back and spine or torso is just really really tiny and very flexible apparently but especially for the women
0: if this were not 1000 not safe for work this would be the art for the episode because it is the perfect summary of what you're getting into. But mm. I can't do that.
1: <laughs> she would throw out your back, wouldn't you?
0: <laughs> wouldn't she? Oh, I I have the screenshot here. I'm looking at it, trying to figure out because she is facing forward, her butt is facing backwards, her body is completely 90 degrees sideways. And just to top it off, her legs are bent backwards in a kneeling position in the tub. That's what the power of seduction gives you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Jelly bones, yes. She's like a snake. <laughs> Some people are into that. Have you ever yes. heard of lamia,
1: fuckers? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, Mage and Demon Queen is back. Hooray! Season three, part two. <laughs>
0: Uh, But she digs a little too deep, showing that she knows who he is and asking why he killed his former boss. And he immediately clams up with, my past is none of your business, lady. I have to say, the the dub actor for Jigen, Richard Epcar. Excellent choice.
1: Wow, that's a pull. Yep. Yeah, I'm watching the uh, sub because, of course, I am. So, like, yeah. Love Richard Epcar. Ziggy is back, baby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we get a flashback. So the former boss and Chicholina, they are interviewing uh, Jigen, and the boss is asking him to prove how good of a shot he is. And Chicholina puts a cherry between her lips from her martini. And... Or drink. It's in a martini glass. It's not a martini. You wouldn't put a cherry in a martini. God damn it. Anyway, you get the point. <laughs> the point is that Jigen proceeds to walk away and like, you know, you think that, oh yeah, he's just given up. But then he does a quick turn and draws the gun, fires two shots, one of which takes the cherry out of her mouth cleanly. The other one takes away all of the fruit, leaving the stone, which then falls back into the martini glass. And Chicholina says, I think I'm going to like this one.
2: It's a very cool shot. I mean, the way that two like, literally cool just, shots. Like... that's true. I think it, <laughs> it, isn't it a couple more to you? Doesn't he like use like the first one to remove the lip, the second one to like bounce it. And then like the third one to remove the outer bit. And then it falls back. Yeah, it's three shots in total.
1: Oh, it's three shots. Okay. I, I remember only two. So he snuck one by me. So
2: <laughs> he's just that fast. Uh huh. Yeah.
1: This
0: is all under a second. That's true. Um, a fl- A
2: flash forward. Um, Chicholina on the floor clearly um, tried to take her own life with a combo of pills and God knows what else strewn about the room. Uh, Jigen the uh, tells her the other tells the other bodyguards to get a doctor, um, and then as he goes to check on her. Um, when she wakes in the hospital, um, only Jigen is there. Um, she bites his head off, wondering why a trained killer would do a thing like save her. Um, Jigen goes, everyone's got a glimmer of feeling, however hard hearted they seem, and nobody is completely without hope. No matter how down and out, I saved you because you don't want to die.
0: I don't love this logic. But it is a very Jigen way of looking at the situation. Mm-hmm. It's, a very, it's a very bodyguard line. Yeah. So, this stuns her into silence, and we see the boss and Jigen talking over a game of chess. This is apparently not Chicholina's first attempt to take her own life, and the boss, who is never actually named, says Jigen, we'll see. But she asks her husband if she can borrow the bodyguard for a day to go out and let her hair down a little. He's like, All right, sure, have fun. At the club, Jigen refuses to dance with her, saying it's not part of his mission. But when he sees two people enter the club, he snaps at her to not leave his side and gets her out on the floor. She's just like, mm, You're a very conflicted man, giving off such hot and cold signals." incredibly tsundere. Not, not a direct <laughs> quote, but that's what she's throwing down here. More or less. Yeah, yeah. it was implied. Mm-hmm. Moments later, the new couple in the club start trying to draw guns on the mobster's wife, and with Chicholina on his arm, he whips out his revolver and blows both people away in a second from across the room. And
1: thankfully doesn't hit anybody else.
0: Yeah. He's yeah. Uh, he's a sharpshooter.
1: Yeah. It's sick. So back in the present, Fujiko puts an acupuncture paralytic on the hired gun as he's lost in thought and like gives gives him a little lick on the ear just for fun. Um, she says, uh, she asked me to deliver you a message. Tell him I'll be waiting where we first made love. And with his gun in her hand, she leaves. When he wakes, he says that She's just as much of a she devil as she looks like, and pulls out a magnum from a briefcase. So apparently, he had two magnums.
2: (laughs) Actually, he has two hands. Have your spare. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you need more than six shots. (laughs) Um.
1: Yeah, that was my first thought of like, okay, if he has like a magic bond with this one gun, can he do it with any other gun? I would assume yes. I would hope he would have two guns. And <laughs> well, I think in
0: the
2: guns. in the scene with um, the cherry, he does it with a Luger, I think.
0: Yeah, he can use many yeah. guns. He prefers his magnums. For what it's worth, in other later series, he has a different magnum than this. It depends on which version you're okay. looking at. Yeah.
2: Um, so then we cut to uh, Chicholina looking over the gun, saying the bait is set for the trap and reminds uh, Fujiko of the second wish. See this through to the end. Um, we then get one more flashback. Um, there, There's a coffin in a church. Jigen rushes over, fearing the worst, but um, Chicholina is alive, sweeping him inside and shutting the lid as her husband comes up screaming for her. Um, she says, you know, If you go outside while he's here, we're both as good as dead. Um, And to her, having someone in her arms is all that makes the pain go away. Um, The scene is real wild, um, other than the fact that they're in a coffin, um, Uh (laughs) because Jigen's wide-brimmed hat has fallen off when he was swept into the coffin. So we're actually seeing his eyes. He's emoting with a full face against her. And there's a vocal track um playing behind this scene um which is elegy 2
0: yes
1: struggle to think of how the the mechanics of then having sex in that coffin while also not making enough noise to uh <laughs> to be caught by the boss how that So works. they never Don't think specified
2: when it happened they could have waited for the boss to leave
1: presumably he would have left and then they were like let's have some coffin
0: sex <sighs> <laughs> mm-hmm. We haven't described how some of these characters look because I sort of presume anyone will have seen or can look up what the cast of Lupin III looks like. But Daisuke Jigen is constantly drawn, and in this series in a very stylized fashion, with a pointy beard, a strong chin, and his upper face, eyes and all, covered by his hat in a sort of slouch. So you don't see him emoting with actual eyes and expression much. Mm-hmm. And they actually draw him in the style of Lupin's upper head underneath this. Hmm. Probably because there's not really much to look at to go, ah, yes, this is what Jigen looks like out of that outfit. Yeah, yeah.
1: And and to be fair, like, you know, he's wearing a suit and a fedora, like the classic fedora, and... uh Yeah, he's not wearing a baseball cap.
0: (laughs) His attire is incredibly bootleg P.I. down on his luck.
1: Extremely, yeah. Yeah,
0: that's that's a good I mean, that's part of why the crew is made up of how it is, because Monkey Punch says, okay, yeah, we've got a French thief, we've got this Western gunslinger, even though Daisuke Jigen has a Japanese name, Then he added Goemon to give some Eastern flavor to this mostly Western crew. Mm -hmm. And Fujiko Mine shows up with a very... Fujiko Mine wasn't originally a character. There was just a woman named Fujiko through all the cases. And then eventually they go, oh yeah, it's just one broad and she does all sorts of Mm dress-up. So... Yeah, there's a there's a lot of weird consideration that goes into this crew, but they're also drawn from a lot of stereotypes. When Chicholina returns home after the two have canonically fucked, the boss is pissed off and has intuited, Ah, you were out sleeping with the bodyguard, which is why I couldn't find you all day. She's like, Yeah, I was. You should kill me. You've got the gun in your hand already but he's not going to do that since he does seem to love Gigelina. However, he does make clear that while he will not kill his wife, he can definitely kill a bodyguard, and so she tries to stop him. The two of them fight, the gun goes off, and her husband is dead. Being the bodyguard to both of them, Jigen is the first on the scene, and he does the most gentlemanly thing he can think of. He tells her to snap out of it, Takes the gun, takes the fall, and goes on the run to protect Chicholina.
1: Right, so the gun wasn't originally his. It mm-hmm. was originally uh the husband's the, the mob bo- bob God, mob bosses. Can't can't speak, been recording too many podcasts in the same day. <laughs> <laughs> Ugh. But we return to the present. Jigen throws open the doors to the church, he's drawn in a very minimalistic style here, almost as if he was made of a sketch with how little of a silhouette uh, he throws into the room. But
0: please look at the episode art. I'm actually using this frame as the title card for our episode this week. God, yeah, like
1: everything here looks amazing. This is a pretty good shot here, too. Uh, So Fujiko is just standing there on the stage and flat out says, look, just ignore me. I'm here as a witness to y'all's weird game. I'm I, I'm just, I'm seeing things through to the end. <laughs> she doesn't literally say that, but that's what she's doing. So, she does
0: literally say, I'm just here to see this through to the end. Quoting Okay, the she boss. literally says
1: it. Uh, yeah, I, I thought it comes like later that she, she says it. But anyway, Chicholina is there too. She walks on stage and says that she played Jigen just like a fiddle. And behind him, uh, another mobster who we've seen... We've seen him briefly before he's got like a big scar um like on his like forehead over his eye.
0: He's actually uh, the driver from earlier,
1: right, yeah, he was the driver uh and he he's up in the like where like the stained glass window is, just like at the para- parapet up there, and uh he says like and she was sleeping with me, actually. How do you feel about them apples <laughs> and Gigan's only response is, well. I finally found a woman worth killing.
2: Yikes. (laughs) Piss him off enough. And then before uh, Jigen can make a move, every door in the place is kicked open and Hitman begins spraying and praying at the bodyguard. Um, He takes the men on the ground out quick, but the mook on the high tower has him pinned down. Jigen then proceeds to run and then deliberately skid kicking up a dust cloud to observe his position so he can take aim the bullet goes right through the lens of the driver's glasses Um, with one bullet left he and Chicholina draw down on each other and she taunts him saying that he can't do it and then uh, there's a cut to the outside of the church with a gunshot sound and then we finally see her collapse, and it's a sick scene. Oh, it's
1: sick. Uh, oh God, what does it remind me of? There's a similar scene in probably a bunch of movies where it's like, yeah, like yeah. a really surgical, um, like assassination of a bunch of people who are going after him.
0: Almost like John Wick vibes.
1: Yeah, John Wick is probably the
0: most recent version of this. Any kind of sharpshooter character will probably do one of these against the main opponent.
1: Yeah, but the thing is, this doesn't have the slow motion thing that became so big after the Matrix, right? Like, this isn't, like, pulling an equilibrium or some shit. Like, it's very precise, which is what makes it so cool. Why I keep mispronouncing Chicholina, and that's because I keep thinking it's going to be Chocolina.
0: (laughs) I understand that entirely. (laughs) Uh, We have to say, Jigen takes out everyone in this room with one shot. He takes out the four men on the ground, gets the fifth shot into the guy in the rafters, and then says, I've got one bullet left with your name on it. To Chichiolina." So, his revolver just empties this whole room in one whole round. Fujiko sees herself out quietly at this point. like She just You see her at the door, and you see her just quietly close it, trying to make no noise, because (laughs) this was not what she's here for. She's seen it to the end. Jigen cradles the mobstress in his arms, and picking up her gun, he finds out she had not even loaded her revolver. She played him to the end. She says that her dying words are she was very, very torn after her husband's death. She'd begun relying on Jigen as her ray of hope, so when he was ripped away by the whole thing, she debated maybe killing him. Maybe killing herself. But instead she decided, you know, how about we do a little bit of all these courses on my plate? What if I make Mm -hmm. him kill me?
1: Uh, So, at her grave... Fujiko drives past a morning Jigen and tries to give a, you know, she and I were quite alike speech, and Jigen just tells her to shove it. He says that he's getting out of the killing business um, and says, uh, a moment's hesitation and you're done. There's no room for feelings or connections. The life of a thief. That sounds pretty good, actually. Uh, when she asks if he's propositioning her, Jigen says that there's no way he would ever work with a woman. I mean, with her. And uh, <laughs> Fujiko's response to this as she peels out is, I don't know, never is a very long time. And that is
0: the end of the episode. So how are y'all feeling about this after this first episode?
2: <sighs>
1: very conflicted. I was
2: blindsided.
1: Uh, I, like... I was kind of bracing myself a little bit being like this is probably going to touch on more uncomfortable bits more than I typically do in anime cuz given the whole sexy vibe to it right but it is way more explicit than I expected and the thing is the style's so fucking good the music's incredible the the art is incredible the animations incredible And when it's on, it's super, super on. And it's just, I I don't know how I'm going to feel by the end of it. Once I get acclimated to this, like whether or not I'm going to say like, damn, that's worth watching, just, you know, watch out for these couple of things. Or if I'm going to be like, man, there's just, it's just too much. I can't really like, I don't know how to feel about it as a whole, like this one in particular, this last one, the whole, this woman has like a death wish. You know is suicidal this whole time and basically sets up a plan where she ends up orchestrating her own suicide on purpose you know because the gun was empty right uh, like i don't feel particularly good about that <laughs> like i don't think that's a great way to treat a character with a, you know certain heavy mental illness it just feels a little distasteful in that way although because of the sort of noir aspects of it and the way that this is supposed to be like a nice closed loop and like kind of closing off Jigen's backstory before he can move forward with the rest of the plot. It works very well and it's very well crafted in that way. Like I think, so it's both like good, but with like heavy caveats. And like the one thing I really thought of when I was watching this that ended up not being the case is like I would have been curious, like I was thinking that Jigen killed the boss and then left knowing that the desire for revenge would prevent Chicholina from killing herself. And the idea of like, okay, I'm going to have to do this, you know, do this violence. uh, But it's in the service of making this woman who doesn't have a very strong will to live, give her something to live for. If it's, you know, if I can't provide her, you know, that will directly, like, I think that would have been kind of neat and probably less problematic. But we went with this instead. I don't know.
2: Garrett? I think that's generally where I also kind of fall in line with this. I think, I think so far it's a very interesting show, and there's parts of it that hit real well and are real interesting and good. It's just surrounded by a good amount of yikes. And mm-hmm. I don't know, I think I'm just trying kind of waiting to see how that kind of goes forward how how it goes further in episodes um yeah i mean i like the bits especially like the the lupin bits i like when he was on screen the show kind of took more of a tone of what i imagine like a uh a standard like lupin fair would be where it's kind of got the more comedic cartoonish to it i thought that was an interesting way to kind of um, have that first episode with those bits in it. I thought that was interesting. Um, yeah, I don't know. I I just think I want to see more. I want to see. Yeah. I want to see like the the promise of like the opening credits where it kind of hints at you know like Fujiko does her thievery to like feel alive and whatnot, and I want to see what that's about and stuff. And <laughs> I think Lupin also mentions that in the first episode too where you know there's there's no height that she won't fall and etc and it's um
1: yeah it's like a flip of the coin like when you like or sorry the other side of the coin to lupin because like lupin just seems like i'm in it for the fun of it and like that's a fun way to frame like this type of story or these types of narrative of like yeah you want the money yeah you want the the thing, maybe a bit of the fame, but really it's the love of the game that does it. And we don't really know what's driving Fujiko to do all these things. And to like, like, I don't want to quite go to say debase herself, but that's kind of what
0: like. No, no, they're, they're, they're very much saying she's got a masochistic streak. You can say debase herself. That's text.
1: That's uh, fair enough. Like, like I, I, I'm trying not to be like super judgmental about it is the thing, you know, just be very careful with how I frame this, but like, I, I feel like are we supposed to be like hell yeah she'll sleep with everyone that's just her deal that's just like that's awesome versus like ooh that's probably not great for her as a person actually <laughs> like I'm not sure how we're supposed to feel about it other than damn she's hot nice tits
2: yeah, yeah I totally get that too like I don't I don't know where like that that line is as like an audience member where we're supposed to like, be on board and, like, this is kind of a taking control type of situation versus, oh, yeah. no, this is very destructive and bad.
1: Yeah. And the, the problem is I'm used to a lot of anime that I've watched happens to be very sex negative. And it's it's something that I kind of struggle with, like, trying to, like, when I think of, like, Ava or I think of Utana. Those are shows that have sex in them, but they are both treated as destructive impulses or way to either, you know, like Masato, like she kind of destroys herself with it or like it's a method of control, like what um, Akio does. Like whenever there's like explicit like people are sleeping together in an anime or a manga, a lot of the times I have to really be like, what is this saying about the nature of sex and desire and gratification and all that, and clearly, I mean, does she enjoy her trysts? Fuck, do we know? We're she's just doing it to, you know, get her score, and we don't really have her perspective on much. We, she's just the femme fatale. We don't get
2: any interiority, the thing. So, yeah, I will say, yeah, I don't so- think we've really had any background yet. Sorry for cutting you off there.
0: Oh, you're fine. So I will say that uh, this is the only episode written by the person who did episode two, Itsuko Mihoshi. Mm-hmm. So that tone is very distinct as a result of that. Uh The pilot and most of the show is written by Mario Kada. But next week we're going to get uh an episode from Dai Sato as well. Who is someone who has a very... I would say dark and comic tone depending on work uh he's worked with a lot of this crew before on various projects did episodes of Eureka 7 did various standalone complex episodes a few of the cowboy bebop episodes like bohemian rhapsody and jamming with edward uh, one of the things that i should point out this is also the guy who wrote my favorite episode of standalone complex jungle cruise so oh jesus Oh, okay, no. but
1: <laughs> oh no this is, that's your
0: favorite <laughs> That's my favorite. I love Bato that is a good oh, Bato episode
1: you're You're not wrong, but oh man, God, the content on
0: that. Ah, well, here's the good thing, Lord. I'm bringing that up because he can do all sorts of tones to success. Uh-, uh-huh. uh, he's the second most prolific writer in the season. But he does Goemon's intro episode next week, and it's going to be a very different tone. And I think you will both like it. Okay.
1: Okay. Like, the just to say it, like, Jungle Cruise, very effective episode. Like, very well crafted. I'm not, I, like, without a doubt. But like, oh my lord, like, it makes me sick to my stomach.
0: Well, to also put this in perspective, he's the guy who wrote the script and scenario for Resident Evil Revelations 1 and 2 which is a set of games that has a very good horror with a dark comedy undertone. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, he can do all over the place.
1: All right. (laughs) But yeah, um, it's going to be like, this is going to be an interesting run, I think. Like, I don't know if I could have like sit through this for more than 13 episodes, right? Like if it was always like this, this intense all the time. No, no,
0: it's so part of why I'm mentioning this is that The first four episodes are introducing us to the main six characters of this series. We have Fujiko Mine and Lupin in the first, and you can see how their tone clashes with one another. You have Daisuke Jigen in the second, and his mob underworld that he gets out of, cleanly, at the end. And then we're going to get a samurai film next time, and then an (laughs) Inspector Zenigata episode. So... Oh. Once we're done with that, all the episodes start being. Now you know these characters. We're going to start doing different pairings of them through the lens of Fujiko.
2: Hmm. Interesting. I'm interested to see where that goes. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and also f- like
2: I think just as like an overall thought, it you just like coming to terms with like the stuff in it too, just like how much it's like pulling from like a noir type setting because this. I don't know, I know nothing about noir, but it feels like a very noir thing. It is. So it seems like yeah. a lot of those elements are also pulled for there, so, like, the blame is
0: kind of all over for
2: a lot of parts,
0: too. I mean, this like, series the is, not,
1: is a noir thing, so... the
0: series is not noir as a whole. I would say it's very pulp-inspired. Yeah, yeah, that okay. makes sense. Yeah. But yes, uh, next week we will get a samurai and ask ourselves the question... Why would you have sex with a comp? So with that, we'll see you next time for episodes three and four. Garrett, do you have anything you want to plug?
2: Uh, sure. I'll plug a thing. Um, I talk about karate bugmen on motorcycles every so often with a couple <laughs> friends who have never seen that before at uh, com, where we're currently very slowly making our way through Blade. <laughs>
0: And Matt, do you want to plug anything on yours?
1: Sure. I mean, if you don't listen to it already, Lightning Strikes Thrice, it's our JRPG Games Club podcast. We are currently playing Final Fantasy VIII. So that's been a lot of fun so far, uh, recording those. Uh, Beyond that, I also write the occasional review, um, usually Yuri manga, occasionally Yuri anime, on... uh, Okazu. So, uh, that is okazu.yuricon.com and there's a guest review filter. You can go and check and see my name and, or you could just search for it and, uh, read what I think about certain, uh, series and whatnot. I just recently did one for Project Aiko, which if, you know, astute listeners and patrons, uh, already know we covered for Boku No Stop as a premium episode for patrons only. So, go check that out. But I also wrote a written sort of overview of the Blu-ray on the site as well. So yeah.
0: And you can also find more episodes with Matt and myself, possibly talking about anime, possibly talking about other things. If you head to our network's Patreon at pitchdrop.cash for as little as a dollar a month, you can get a variety of additional shows, including discussion of noted jrpg final fantasy 14 bit by bit Mm -hmm. or a discussion of matt and others about death note or maybe just bonus episodes of this show you're listening to right now
1: thank you very much
0: and we will see you all in two weeks time peace later